We probably all know the story of Bartimaeus as it's found in Mark chapter 10. It goes like this. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, the thing I'd just love to ponder today as you read this story is the attitude of Bartimaeus. And it strikes me that he had what seems to us a really bold attitude. But I wonder if that's what he felt. I wonder if he felt bold. Or more that he couldn't get out of his mind this question. Why not me? Why not me? It seemed to start when he was sitting by the roadside begging. And he hears a commotion. You know, people jostling for places. People calling out this man Jesus. I imagine Bartimaeus asks what's going on, or more has to shout out uh, what's going on above all the noise of the crowd. Uh, and somebody tells him that Jesus is passing by. And then Bartimaeus does something that really nobody else seems to be doing. He yells out for Jesus and calls him the son of David. Uh, I'm not sure what was going on inside him at the time, but he somehow equated the Jesus they were all yelling for with the promised Messiah. And he sensed that the promised Messiah was someone who had come to bring God's help to everyone. And if to everyone, then why not him? He takes the same attitude just a few moments later. The disciples try and shut him up, but he does the opposite and shouts even more loudly, calling out to the son of David for mercy. Why? Because he didn't see why he shouldn't meet the Messiah. Because this Messiah had come for everyone. Why not him? Well, the same Messiah has come and actually is still here. But I wonder really if it's not so much other people who are stopping us coming to Jesus, but rather we do a pretty good job of that ourselves. We tell ourselves that we're not the sort of people that God would touch. Or we tell ourselves that others are more in need than we are. 
Or perhaps we don't be that honest with God. We don't bring our needs to him in such a, you know, a, a, a desperate way, just in case we're let down, in case nothing happens. And, and I wonder if one of the things we ought to check as we do come to God is this. Do I really believe that God wants to touch me? Why wouldn't he? Father God loves you so much, he gave Jesus for you. He is that committed, that dedicated to you. He's also present with you in the situations where you are. He promised he'd always be with you. You might not even be aware of his presence, but he is right with you here and now. And there is a power available for you, for all of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, I'm not saying that if we adopt that attitude that God will do whatever we want him to do. But if we can grasp that truth, I think we're at least keeping the door open for him to pour into us whatever he has for us today. So as we come to him, as we take time to come to him, let's keep these truths in our minds. Let's keep that question you're burning through us. He came for us all. Why not me? Why not you? Take care and God bless. Welcome to this weekly reflection. There are some wonderful words that Jesus spoke, and it's actually quite easy to miss them. Uh, they occur in the context of mission, actually. And what happens is he sends out 72 disciples. He tells them to do exactly what he's been doing, namely to heal the sick. Uh, and they go off, and when they come back, we read these words from Luke chapter 10. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord... Even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And it's those last words I want to pick up on. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Can you imagine that? My name, your name, is written in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Well, it was a common image. There was a kind of a book containing the names of the righteous people. And it's so wonderful to think our names are actually written in that book for God to see, for everyone to see. But it's a bit more than that as well, actually. Our names are more than just the, the words that somebody uses to call us, to identify us from somebody else. The Bible talks about, for example, the name of God, and it means everything about him. It means his character, his heart. And our names are us. It's about who we are. You know, it's very common in the Old Testament for someone to receive a new name to describe something new that God had shown them. 
And so if these names are written in heaven, well, it means we are there. It's not just our name, it's us. It's who we are that is there. And actually, heaven is quite significant too. Heaven is not just the place you go when you die. It's not just somewhere in the future. Heaven is a place now. It's the dwelling place of the ever-present Jesus. It's a reality all around us. You know, by being in heaven, Jesus is here with us now. And the amazing thing is that we are with him. And we can often get very stewed up, can't we, as to whether God is actually with us or not. It's more than that. We are with him. We're there, right in his presence. When Paul was trying to convey this idea of the present presence of God to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17, he reminds them of some words of one of their own poets, and it kind of conveys to Paul so powerfully the truth. And he says this, in him we live and move and have our being. That's the wonder of the closeness of God to us. That's what we should be rejoicing in, pondering, reveling in. He's here. He's with you. You are with him. And he delights in you. And that's worth rejoicing about. Let's take that into these hours, these days ahead of us. We can rejoice that he is right here. We are with him. He is with us. Until next time, take care and God bless.